Welcome to the No-Till Farmer Podcast, brought to you by Yetter Farm Equipment. I'm Michaela Pogner, Managing Editor at No-Till Farmer. In today's episode of the podcast, No-Till Farmer's 2023 Conservation Ag Operator Fellow, Lauren Steinlage of West Union, Iowa, and No-Till legend Dave Brandt from Carroll, Ohio, sit down together to talk about the challenges of being an early adopter in conservation ag, the importance of having a fluid management mindset, their pursuit of high nutrient density crops, and much more. Lauren starts off this episode. You'll hear him reference heading home from a meeting and talking with doctors. He and Dave met with a group of doctors in Iowa the day before our conversation to talk about using nutrient-dense crops as medicine, so keep that in mind as he's talking. We're always looking at the bigger picture, trying to figure out, you know, the last two days I sat in awe of the people we were with. And, you know, I told Dave on the way home last night, I think I held my own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, that, that's all I ever cared to do is hold my own and help people learn. And, you know, right now, you know, the minute it seems the minute some people start getting a little attention, the fame and fortune kicks in and I worry about them. You know, I, I know... The minute, you know, Brenda's went to with me for quite a few of the events, but now all of a sudden we're hitting the next frontier of life and the grandkids kind of take a little priority, so she's not with me as much and people notice that. Mm-hmm. No different than the first time Dave and Kendra showed up here. Was that 2014? Yeah. Yep. Or 15, something like that, you know, when Dave Brent shows up in your farm. I think we've had a pretty good relationship ever since, since yeah. and, you know. And, yeah. I think I think the ultimate high was this summer when we I got promoted to brother status. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, nice. yeah. I know earlier on, Lauren, you said that you're you've been gone through this period where first people are ridiculing what you're doing, and now they're like, oh my gosh, like holding you up, like as the example of what you should be doing. What are some of the things that you've encountered where people have done that to you, and how do you keep yourself motivated as you're going through that tough part? I guess to me it's real humbling to have uh, people you work with or your peers uh, acknowledge what you've done, you know, because I feel I just plant a seed. We do a lot of talking, we do a lot of field days, and my point of call is to uh, get the uh, people we're working with or the producers to think outside the norm, you know. You don't have to be hard up to change, you know. You just have to be able to adapt to what you're trying to do. And uh, I guess we've been ridiculed ever since we started. I mean, you know, we lose ground, we get ground. Lately, it's been, the pressure's been on because uh, we had some equipment failures over the past and we just didn't get things done. And you get weeds coming in the field and then the landlord gets all upset because the neighbor's fields are green and no weeds in it. And, you know, when you reduce 95% of the herbicide rates and 95% of the fertilizer rates, and you're trying to explain to the landlords what's going on, and you know, you got this one foxtail weed or one Johnson grass weed in the field, they're all upset, you know, and don't understand. It didn't affect the yield, you know. Yes, it sometimes makes it a little tough to harvest. You just have to slow down or do something different, but it's just hard to convince uh, landlords that's not ever farmed you know, they buy these farms because it's a tax shelter or, or something and you were trying to farm them or they're development farms, you know. And uh, we're supposed to be the experts. Well, I make more mistakes than probably any conventional farmer ever made because, you know, they are, 
they're able to uh, put all the resources they need to be successful. And uh, right now I'm figuring out probably 20% of them in the world's being able to add to water now. So I mean, but my, my point of call is I really want us to learn to produce better quality food. Uh, and that's been my point for three or four or 10 years. Let's find out how this, we can do this and make it more nutrient dense and being able to feed our consumers with higher quality grains that in essence should make us all more healthy. Now, I don't know whether we can prove that yet or not, you know, but there's something to be said about having uh, more protein or more amino acids and more micronutrients in a crop than what we see from conventional. But I, I just like to talk and plant the seed. And then when people call you like to help, I mean, I want to help them. You know, uh, you know I, I shouldn't even be here. I mean, I should be home trying to help the grandkids get things done. But I'm so excited about trying to help people that I'll spend a lot of time away from home. And uh, it's a lot easier now with two grandsons on the farm to get away. It was fun when I had a mate to go with me, but it's not as much fun as it used to be that way, you know. It's always fun to have somebody navigate you and you just holler at them because they made the wrong turn. <laughs> you know, and uh, Sarah don't like that very well, you know. <laughs> but, I, you know, I just think, uh, I think as we progress and learn things and, you know, everything's changing, but I think... Uh, as we can work with producers and keep them excited about what we're doing and show them how to improve. You know, if, if, if we could save one guy or one producer, all producers, 10 bucks an acre, you know, what would that be? Or if we could eliminate, eliminate 50% of their erosion, what would that mean? You know, and that's, that's what I'm trying to show people is how they can reduce inputs, make the soil better, not lose the soil, and uh, teach him how important it is. And I mean, it doesn't matter whether he's a 10 acre farmer or a 10,000 acre farmer, you know, we all can improve. Lauren and I have tried to improve every year that we're doing something. I mean, you know, it's just great to have that, uh, I'll call it camaraderie or whatever, when you can meet with people that's doing like things and help you to support, make you feel better. I mean, there's days that I just gotta call somebody in Canada and make him laugh, you know. Yeah. Because that's uh, that's what it's all about. I think he's addicted to that. I think he is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, or you call somebody in California, or you know, people that we've met, and for some reason, it seems like that the uh, organics or regens or whatever you want to call us, I mean, seem to want to share. You know, I mean, uh, Lauren will tell everybody their, his secrets, and I'll tell everybody my secrets, and you know, grandson's, you know, he's trying to learn. So, you know, he's talking about putting spike closing wheels back on some of our rows. And, I, you know, if it works, that's fine. But, you know, we, you know, we've got to keep these young people involved. And I think with regenerative farming, that's the way we can do it. You know, uh, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. And talking about the producing that better quality food that's more nutrient dense, what do you guys have to do when you're going through the season to ensure that you're getting the better quality crop? Well, I think, I think what we have to do, and we're doing it, and, you know, most of us are trying different things that work, and then you have to follow it through and see if it really worked. You know, we plant various corn plots, various bean plots a year, 
in probably the toughest soils we have just to see how it's going to respond. And you know, when, when we look at 15 to 18 different varieties in a plot and we see protein goes from 4% on this variety to 14% on this variety, you know, that's what we're looking for, mm -hmm. you know, because today we're not having any research done from any source, whether it's uh, pri private or public, what we're doing, because they're doing it all on the best ground they got to tell you how much it's going to yield. And I guess I'm really concerned, you know, I don't mind 600 bushel corn or 500 bushel corn or 400 bushel corn, but if it doesn't have the nutrients to feed the world, what are we going to do? You know, and as, as, as we keep wearing out the soils, and I, you know, sometimes I like to pick on my Iowa farmers because, you know, that's where the buffalo roamed, you know, and, uh, you know, they got uh, lots of dark colored soils and it's pretty flat and pretty big and, and uh, you know, when they can take it from where it was when the buffalo roamed from about 14% organic matter down to four in less than 200 years, what's the next 200 years going to do? Right. So if we don't learn to conserve and have it covered and try to do the right things to the soil, you know, will Iowa, you know, I hate to say this out loud, but will Iowa become a desert? You know, I mean, let's just face it. You know, what? why is the Sahara Desert over there? The Sahara you know? Desert was one of the most fertile regions in the world. world. That's right, point. at one time. I just think if we could get, you know, I don't say we'll ever get back to Garden of Eden, but, you know, as, as we learn to keep the soil covered, things get easier. But it takes a whole lot more management, and I don't think a lot of the producers want to spend that time to manage. And I think that's kind of what separates all of us. The most of us that's doing regenerative ag like to manage. Well, and part of it comes back to conversation we were in the last couple of days is when you truly start understanding nutrient density, the key is you end up eating less food. I mean, me and David are both pretty good at uh, converting food. Yeah, right, yes. <laughs> I think that, is that the PC way to put that? That's pretty way easy to put it, yeah. But, uh, you know, when, when you start realizing the nutrient density of the foods back in the 1940s and 30s and stuff like that, they actually had to eat less to get the same benefit you do today. Well, what comes with all that extra food we're eating? You know, back to Rollins' story, you know, one of the first things we learned early in his story is, you know, the sugars. That's what drives anxiety. And, you know, some of the people we were talking to the last few days, they're dialing in on some of that right. stuff. How do we get more farmers and doctors and medical professionals working together on this stuff? And that's why I feel, I mean, the two days I we were spent to do with these doctors that we were at, I mean, it was a real privilege to sit around to me, to talk to these people and to see them understanding that as we look at plants and keep our plants healthy, how we can affect health of human, even animal, animal population yeah. and human population, you know, because the things they're looking at is just, I mean, it's it boggles my mind. I'm, I'm a simple-minded person, but, you know, when we can talk about raising a corn that has more zinc or more magnesium or or more selenium versus another hybrid i mean when we started looking at micronutrients and mineralization of a plant i couldn't believe how much difference there is between a b and c you know i just expected a corn plant to always have the same you know i mean 
but they don't. So we, we're looking at that on our farm and we're trying to do that research to feed the healthcare industry to understand if, if maybe they have a patient that needs something, we could find this variety of corn that they could utilize or a variety of wheat or whatever it is. It could even be a soybean, you know, mm -hmm. to help them out. And I think that's, that's gonna be part of the wave of the future. So I think as regenerative farming is taking off and we're getting more and more people to do it, we'll find niche markets to help us out, just like organics do. You know. Well, and that, that's the next frontier. We all need to be working together, trying to figure out how to market that product together. Because as, as of right now, we can't get paid for what we're doing. Right. Unless you go to the organic side. But even there, you're not getting near as much benefit as the potential right and hopefully we're working on closing them gaps there's ideals on the table yeah. we'll see how if they gain traction right. you know but for me personally the aha moment i had here a couple of years ago is with the beers that we're working with and stuff like that you know we had one beer came out called regen beer now the area it was exposed to and that it should have been an easy sell. Mm -hmm. But the people in that community called it Regan beer. Regan. <laughs> they didn't even know what, oh. you know, so that, that's a big disconnect I see right now and why we're trying to reach out with the chefs and the doctors and stuff like that. The education is gonna become way beyond what any of us thought was gonna entail. And, you know, the chefs get it because they know what it's like to work with the food. Mm -hmm. And if we can get them to help relate to the consumer, why is this better for you? What, you know, that's a pretty slick avenue if we can really start helping people understand through the food what we're doing. That, well, so. it'd really be neat if we could get them to understand in the school systems and stuff like that to eat a little better food quality. I mean, why do we have to have Pepsi machines and right. sugar-coated stuff to, to keep the students happy? Some of the biggest things is, you know, just I know we can do a lot more than what we've done to date. The future is going to be the multi-cropping, the, the companion cropping. It's just we've got to figure out what works best together here. Net zero is probably a big thing that I'm really focused on right now. Everybody else is focused on carbon. But at net, if you take it all the way to net zero, that's when you start factoring in your phosphorus, your potassium, your water quality you know, the energy use and all that. Well, that's where we're gonna start getting a consumer-driven mindset. And, you know, just the consumer-driven aspect of, together, I wanna get to where we're actually growing more food on farm. You know, we all talk about it, but good food and wholesome food and stuff we can actually eat. You know, number two yellow corn, I can eat a few handfuls throughout harvest probably as you sample a little corn. Maybe real small handfuls at that, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it it's not what whets my appetite. You know, the the cereal grains and that that we're doing, some of the other stuff, the oil seeds we're looking at growing and stuff like that. Bad part is we got to quit killing our plots, but uh, that's part of the learning experience. You know, what overwinters here in Iowa is going to be the challenge. Mm -hmm. What overwinters in West Union, Iowa is going to be what way different in Waterloo, Iowa. You know, that's only 45 miles away. We learned that way back when we first started with the interseeding in that 
you know, I, I'll never forget Steve Groff was in Waterloo at the height of the cover crop solution days. He's like, yeah, annual ryegrass will work here. And I'm like, Steve, I've used it for, I don't know what it was, like eight years at that point. It's like, we've never had it over winter. But things have changed enough now. We've learned a few things that we can pretty predictably get annual ryegrass over winter. You know, with that said, I don't think this winter is going to be one of them. You know, because we just had that long bear spell in December. Got down to sub 30 or whatever it was, negative 30. But that's part of the mindset we have acquired. I don't have a clue what our actual rotation is this year yet. It's going to, it's going to flex as we see spring unfold. You know, so back to topic, you know, what do I see as keys is flexibility. You know, how do we keep a, you know, I, I guess the way I've described it is a fluid management plan. You know, we're constantly adjusting and it, it, I'm a seedsman nightmare anymore. I'm a herbicide, <laughs> you know, my chemical guys don't even want to talk to me just because we've got to have several different plans as we see things unfold throughout the year. I'm telling people right now, if I got to have surgery again this spring, it's going to change things drastically. I'll probably safety up on a lot. Just so me and my wife can handle it as much as possible. Hopefully I get a little help, but I always focus on what we can get done ourselves and adjust from there. What is your time frame for making those cropping decisions while still being flexible with what you're going to do? Time frame on making decisions, hour by hour, <laughs> hour, by hour. minute by minute. <laughs> I was going to say day by day. <laughs> no, I just, you know, part of the relay cropping mindset and all that is we don't know the day, you know, we'll have a pretty good idea when we plant the bean into the rye. Mm -hmm. But just what we learned this year already, or this past year, that decision might not be made till harvest exactly what we're doing. You know, we thought we learned quite a bit. We thought we knew what we were doing, but this year was a prime example of we've got to maintain flexibility. You know, just my stupidity last year, charging into harvest and relay the rye, the rye we would have been better off not harvesting the rye. We should, we should have just let the rye grow. Well, we've seen the, be the beans flowering already. If the beans are flowering, when we pop that rye out of there, they go to maturity, they're done. Mm -hmm. You know, 15 bushel an acre relay of beans and we're supposed to know what we're doing is pretty humbling. Now on the flip side, the beans that looked good in the later maturing beans should have been some of the best relay beans we ever had. But then mother nature says, Hey, you're not done learning yet. <laughs> you know, mid September freeze was pretty there again was pretty humbling now everybody's like oh my god what are you going to change for next year well i know i'm taking the 3-0 and the 3-2 beans out and in northern iowa everybody thinks i'm nuts growing 3-5 to 3-9 beans because we do have the you know our biggest concern on cropping is this frost in the spring and the frost in the fall i've showed it many times you know we have Lucky years, we have 140 days of growing season. Well, I don't know what we're having anymore because last year we froze them out on the front side. This year we froze them out on the back side. You know, so right now I'm not changing anything on the later beans knowing that was a three week earlier than normal frost. You know, if we'd had one week more, we'd have probably had 70, 80 bushel really beans. 
you can't make knee jerk reactions. You just got to go with what you've learned over the years and trust it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, on the flip side in the spring, I'll plant the relay bean in there knowing full well we might terminate it. You know, if we're going to go hot and dry, depending on which farm it's on, and, you know, if we've got the water holding capacity or if we've got the moisture, we might let her ride, but it's hard with crop insurance and all that stuff. You know, that, that's a whole separate discussion. You know, the, the group we're a part of helped fight for the waiver program on the relay cropping and all that. You know, so we charged in last year. Hey, we got the waiver. Let's just see what it rides out. Thought we asked all the right questions, but it, that again was educational when you start dealing with government programs. Oh, no, we never told you that. Well, now they're disappointed when I told them this year I will not be doing a waiver program just for the simple fact they combine our relay beans with the commercial beans. And it's like, if I was double crop area, they keep them separate. Mm -hmm. But apparently with the waiver program, beans are beans. You know, but why do we have to keep them all separate? You know, the record separate and all that. And, you know, it's just, there's a lot to learn on this stuff. And, you know, the advice to the younger folks listening would be keep asking questions. And uh, the minute you start making hard decisions early in the game is probably the death now. You know, keep that fluid mindset where you've got to learn and adapt to make this work. So as it stands now, are you able to get more money for your corn that you can prove is a better nutrient density? Or do well, you have to go, it's like, seek out a market? You have to seek, we, we, seek, yeah, out, seek out the market. market. Yeah. You know, that last summer there, I got to do a presentation just on some of the off-farm stuff we're doing, you know, beyond the, beyond the Yield was the name of the meeting. and really wanted us to focus on what we're doing off farm to better that position and the way I would describe it to anybody is for every minute we're going to save with our farming practices you need to focus that minute on your marketing and you know it's not easy it's you know when you start dealing with a general consumer public you're never going to guess where they're wanting to be what they need and how they want it you just kind of constantly have to keep building that rapport mm -hmm. and uh well i think the internet has made it a little more easier to do that as you can do uh, uh information there that they could understand where their food comes from mm -hmm. uh we started milling just about a year ago so we're doing more farm to table things uh we're milling ancient wheats and ancient corns and uh, it took a long time to get people to understand what we were talking about and doing but in the last month, we've had quite a influx of people ordering things through the internet. You know, that seems to be the housewife seems to be a little more concerned about where her food's coming from because of the COVID virus. I mean, when they went to stores and shelves were empty, that's uh, and it, it may be, you know, I'm afraid there may be a lot of empty shelves uh, coming up because uh, uh, there's hardly enough commodities to keep everything going, you know. And that's the trouble we have when we start talking about trying to help the, the medical field is that there's really no place to go to get uh, quality food. You know, because it says it's organic, that doesn't mean it's quality a bit, you know. And I think we made that point with those medical people the last two days that there is 
high quality organic foods and then there's unhigh quality if you want to say it that way organic foods i mean just because you took the the fertilizer and the chemical away if you till that soil all the time and disrupt it and don't have enough uh, root systems or enough cover there the the uh, quality of that grain goes downhill quite immensely you know but you know if when we can work with organic producers and have them use cover crop that quality jumps way up way fast so i think there's you know we may start seeing regen organics as a way to show that that topic is better quality you know and that may go against what organic people want to hear but i really think you know it's time to put the the truth in the pudding you know well that's over the last how many years i think was it 2014 2015 it's the first time we had nutrient density testing done on our grains yes. to date yet we really don't know what that all means but now by bringing the doctors in they can tell us well you need this you need that you know the next step is going to be can your body utilize that you know so it, it's the deeper you get into you figure out the human biome is no different than the soil i mean just because something's in the soil doesn't mean the plants can use it mm -hmm. so if we can help connect the right people together you know there there was two guys yesterday in the meeting it's like we need to get these two guys together with lance gunderson and mitchell hora because they're doing the human side of what lance and mitchell are doing on the soil side you know, so if we can somehow connect them two, and all of a sudden they're working together, we might, might be able to speed some of this up. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Yetter Farm Equipment. Yetter is your answer for success in the face of ever-changing crop production challenges. Yetter offers a full lineup of planter attachments like row cleaners, closing wheels, and planter-mounted fertilizer equipment. And check out Yetter's highly popular stock devastators, cover crop rollers, and strip-till equipment. Yetter products help you maximize your inputs, save you time, and deliver a return on your investment. Visit them at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Now let's get back to the conversation. How did you guys get connected with this group of doctors to begin with? Beating on doors. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 And yeah. it's just, there, there's, there's some pretty cool stuff on the horizon if it all comes to fruition there. It's yeah. just, like I said, yeah, it, it's, it's been a long journey and, you know, the main, you know, and that's, I was tell, told them yesterday, I'm like a bull in the china room there, but, uh, you know, yesterday at one point, you know, all the time and effort that's went into this deal is like, okay, folks, what's our plan B? Mm -hmm. You know, because everything we're working for is in sight. But if it doesn't happen here, we need to be looking over here or over there so we keep moving forward. And uh, hopefully soon yeah. we'll know. Right. And I think that's that's a basic how we farm. I mean, you 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 try to start something, and if it don't work, you uh, I won't say you back up, but you slow down and say, now where could I go to improve this or change it? Because the challenge is there is to uh, show the that you can handle the diversity. You know, 
And I think that's the thing that we've learned to do. We've learned to handle diversity. Because Through adversity, we've learned to handle diversity. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> There's your so tagline. Yeah, sir. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but, uh, you know, it, it just because, you know, I remember when I was younger, and that's, you know, I'm but, up there. But I remember when we first started with no-till, you know, you could count on the weather. I mean, we got nice little rainfall events for 24 hours, you know, and and you got rain when you needed it. And it was a piece of cake there back in the 70s and 80s. Now we get these deluges of five and six inches and then no rain for a month, you know. Mm -hmm. and here in Iowa, it seems the latest, greatest thing is derechos. You know, every time we turn around, boom, hurricane force winds. You know, they were just talking, you know, it was the anniversary of the one south of here. And it's like... You know, it, it's changing my perspective of what crops I actually want to grow. I mean, anybody that's harvested corn knows it's not fun picking up off the ground. And, you know, they, they used to not be able to grow corn in Nebraska and South Dakota and those places where it's hot, you know, Oklahoma. And now it, it seems like the, the climate, or I don't know what they call it, climate change, or something's happened that, you know, it seems like they're able to grow more of that kind of commodity, you know whether it's because of all the development going on. I mean, it's fun to be here at Lawrence and never see an automobile on the road when you're driving. <laughs> and look at big fields and, you know, you get west or east of the Mississippi, it's just, you know, houses and developments and everything. Mm -hmm. So maybe we've made our own climate problems, you know. That's what well, I look at. Like we addressed yesterday, I mean, if it wasn't for climate change, we'd be sitting under a glacier right now. Down, so yeah, right. we got to get that on the table first. Yeah. You know, yeah. But it goes back to, I mentioned earlier about, you know, the three young ladies that we were talking to at that meeting, you know, about scale. You know, it turned out, I didn't know it when we stepped into that meeting, but it was a climate change meeting. You know, they wanted to figure out what it's going to take to get farmers to talk about climate change. And I used that example right there, you know, there's undeniable fact that we were sitting under a glacier once upon a time. So climate's been changing for a long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now we got everybody on a level playing field. Let's work up from there. You know, instead of accusing somebody for causing something, no, it's been happening. Let's figure out what's happening, how we can deal with it. I guess over the last several years, you know, just on our farm, we've seen the difference we can make. Yes. Right. You know, we've got test data that shows we can infiltrate, you know, infiltrate and hold more water than, you know, up to the 50% level. Yeah. You know, we can mitigate flooding potential by 50% and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, why are we having such a hard time maintaining funding to keep that test data coming in? And that, that's... That's some of the frustrating things we're seeing right now, you know, is the more of this stuff we're doing and starting to prove that we know what we're doing a little bit. Right. The hurdles keep getting put in front of us. You know, so how do we get the consortium in place to combat that? It's easy to do replicated data in a university setting. But real world would tell us we're not in a university setting. I've never seen two years the same. So that year-to-year -year stuff that we've learned over the years, that's when that starts coming into play and help us. You asked earlier how we make decisions. It's, you know, if I sit back and, you know, everybody talks, you got 40 years of farming. I ain't going to quit in two years. Because I'm at 38 this year, if I remember right. <laughs> that This is now when we should 
kind of start knowing what we're doing and that, that's why hopefully we know what we're doing we can show other people what we're doing and it makes sense mm -hmm. but most people don't understand it when you don't have a hard plan that scares a lot of people right you know business sense would say you build a plan you go with that but I've all the business classes I've always been to the first thing I say well if you take the time to put it down on, on paper that means you're locked into that You've got to have that fluid mindset. You know, my business plan is up here. It's constantly changing. Probably not hourly like the cropping system, but, you know, we're going to juke and jive with the best of them. Lauren's just right. I mean, my son's a polymer chemist, and his wife's also a polymer chemist, and she's running our seed business, and grandkids are there, you know. They want to, they want to write up a plan of action. You know, this is what we're going to do today, or this is what we're going to do. You know, I don't mind the plan or the goal, but I keep telling them you got to be flexible enough. If it's rain and you just don't go in the house and sit down, you got to do something else to make that work. You know, and uh, you know you may not get it done. You know, it, so you have to have that uh, plan to Z to figure that out. You know, right? Because I think when you talk to people like Rick Clark, I mean, you know, he's always got. <laughs> 300 things he's trying to figure out to do, you know, and that's why we talk about small alphabet and low alphabet because, you know, you might start with a letter A and end up with a small letter Z in that same field yeah. that year, you know. I mean, we're old enough, we might bring, bring back cursive. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's, you know, that's the fun thing that I see that keeps it interesting for me, you know, and, uh, but the, on the same train of thought, the challenge is what drives us. That's right. Absolutely. Right. You know, the, it, it's it's fun when you start trying to figure out, well, what will fit here? What will fit there? You know, on well, the, the, fun on thing, worst, the worst case scenario is what do I got left to sell? You know, what what can I make good out of that? Right. And, you know, this, this spring, Rick and I were out in Nebraska together and talking about a few things. And all of a sudden, boom, he's trying. Yep, that worked. Okay, now now I know that that can be one of my backup plans, and you know and that goes back to the camaraderie we've we've got. You know, we're we're talking all the time and sharing ideals and yeah. trying to figure out how can we help each other. You know, hey, I did this, try that. You know, them them little things are what helps us. You know, and I, I've described that before. You know, one of the first things back to Rollins' deal. You know. I thought my farming career died at that moment. You know, every, everybody wants that son that's going to take over the farm. You know, and I'm not afraid to tell people if it wouldn't be for Rollins' deal, none of you probably would have heard of me. Because I was a very closed-minded person at that point, but I, I realized that day we're not selfish. We've done a few th cool things at that point already. Might as well share it, because I'm not going to take it to the grave. and. Quickly, the more we started sharing, the more people started sharing. It's been a hell of a ride. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just like if you get an idea, you know, back in the 70s, if you got an idea, there was nobody to talk to. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there was just nobody, you know. And, of course, then you didn't have equipment either. I mean, everything you had to do, you had to modify. I mean, you know, the, the drills they brought to us when we started no-tilling was a conventional drill with... Uh, maybe 10 55-gallon drums of water on to make it go in the ground. It's the greatest thing that I have that that I think is so much fun. If, you, if I'm thinking of something in the combine or the tractor or 
even laying in bed, you can get up and you can call one of your friends somewhere and say, is this a stupid idea? You know, and, <laughs> and they may say no, but they're saying, well, that guy's an idiot, but yeah. he'll let him try Right, you know. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. I was with Rick Clark oh, a month or so ago, and and uh, we were talking, and I says, we had a soybean spill in the field a, a year ago because Grandpa forgot to shut the door on a gravity bed. <laughs> but we cleaned it up the best we could, and then this summer we saw there that the cover crops in that area was a third taller and a third darker, bigger seed heads, you know. And we took a sample, and, you know, uh, just for an example, the CEC in that circle where the where the soybeans were was 24.5 CEC. So we took the sample in the field, the big field, and it's only 7.7, you know. And, and then we looked at the uh, phosphorus and potash, and I don't remember what it was, but I, the calcium was what stuck in my mind because the calcium in that circle was 4,830 pounds, where the field was only 1,420. So I got this big wild hair, and, and I was sitting there with Rick, and I says, we have a seed cleaning business and we got lots of split soybeans and we don't have any livestock to feed it to and you can't really sell splits to the feed mill, you know. I says, what do you think about pulverizing that and putting soybean meal in a row with maybe a little bit of sugar? And he says, why not, David? You know, I mean, just go ahead and try it. <laughs> Let me know how it works. You know, those are the, the things that motivate you, you know. So it, it may work. You never know until you try, you know. Yeah. And that's going back to you're doing more with less. Yes, you're, you're right. using what you have. Right, and right. Making it work. Too. Yes. Well, just just an instance we saw this summer, on my I'll call it my problem child field this year. <laughs> we had some pretty smart people out here trying to figure out what was actually going wrong, and a shovel would tell you better than what any wow. test could ever tell me. And then, you know, son-in-law talking with him and, I, you know, that, that's what I would impress upon anybody. You know, what is the three most important nutrients we have in our soil for cropping today? It's not nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus, air, water, and carbon. It's probably more re relevant to what we're doing. And, you know, and as that field played out this summer, you know, carbon's the big word everybody wants to talk about right now. When it was all said and done, we did a total digest on that field. So we know exactly what nutrients are left in the field and all that. And where the corn was good, we had 10,000 pounds more carbon in the soil than where the corn was bad. Now is carbon company gonna pay me that? Oh, by the way, I'm not eligible for that payment. So oh. we're not going there today, but <laughs> you know, what it, what it all come down to is, you know, we, we've seen things happening in that field and uh, I could guarantee you that in the fall there, when we were harvesting the corn off that field, if you've seen a bad stock, the soil collapsed. If you've seen a good stock, the soil was the most perfect looking soil you could ask for. It had air and it had air, you know, just, nice fluffy soil and the yield monitor went from 300 bushel an acre to under 100 and there was like oh what did you do wrong there I was like i didn't have the cover up front mm -hmm. you know the sad part is that field was not supposed to be corn this year back to that management style we talk about you know i was going to put our spring cereal in that field so we didn't put a cover there last fall should have probably seen what was going wrong in that field when I had a news reporter out there. And, you know, I was so proud that day. I was like, here you go. You can see 
what roots do versus no roots. I mean, it was just like pudding on that side. That should have been my aha moment. You know, it was no-till. It was, every, you know, soil health off the chart. But that one little hiccup crashed the system. You know, when you hear Lance and them guys and Rick Haney talk about the refrigerator ant and empty, we've seen it firsthand now. Now I've learned what, you know. How important it is. How important it is on my own farm even yet. You know, we're supposed to know what we're doing. (laughs) We can crash the system pretty hard. You know, but back to that fluid management style, you know, we were, we were going to put a spring cereal in. Well, we didn't get in the fields till May 15th, and all of a sudden you started seeing 100 some degrees forecast. Within three weeks, I was like, well, that ain't going to work. You know, but I, I was so hell-bent this past year that I wasn't going to plant corn. I didn't even get my corn planter out. You know, I just got to the mindset where I can compete with the relay and the rotation or whatever you want to call what we're in. I can compete with up to 250 bushel acre corn very low input, very low risk. I'm going that direction. Well, Rollin came home from Tulsa. We had to run him back to Tulsa because his doctor appointment and that. And the way things worked out, Brenda's like, hey, you want to go with Tulsa to help take him back? I was like, sure. Called the neighbor. Can you plant that field of corn? I never should have did that knowing what I know now because what happened is that soil collapsed. It suffocated the corn roots in them areas. Everybody's, oh, what's your soil test? I'm like, well, it's there. Identical here, identical there, everything, you know. Nothing made sense until you took the shovel out there and dug. Mm -hmm. And it's, a lot of people have a hard time understanding it's that simple. Now, simple-minded Lauren, we get along pretty good with simple. (laughs) You know, we don't try to overthink things. And, you know, yes, I just told you earlier, I constantly am thinking, but don't overthink it. You know, be looking for the answers, but be looking for the right answers. No, you know, I see too many people trying to read into what's not there and they try to assess blame. And then that's when they start, oh, geez, this is wrong, that's wrong. You know, common sense tells me what we saw, we should have probably applied phosphorus. But the, the testing we had all, and fortunately, we had month-old soil samples and that. It showed us we should have had enough phosphorus available and looked good. And, but it just it does do no good to have the nutrient available if you can't access it. Right. It takes roots to do that. Well, if we can't grow roots, but it takes roots to grow roots. And that's that little hurdle a lot of people have getting over. You know, so many guys, they want to win or kill cover crop. Yeah. It might work. It works. To an extent. Yeah. But if you're going to start pushing the envelope, you need that living root out there to keep that carbon flowing and the nutrient cycling and all that feeding the system. Because just, you know, we're, we're froze up from November to, you know, that last year we were froze up almost till April 15th. So in less than two, three weeks, you know, she consumed out of house and home. In that corn by V4, it looked like it was tilled dirt. Mm. Now, if I told you the whole rotation history on that farm, most of people are like, how can that be? Yeah. You know, because we're the reason we're doing the relays and stuff like that is, number one, we've got the extra moisture. My goal is we're going to grow the extra moisture out, but we're also creating extra biomass. You know, that's what feeds our system. Right. Well, we're the nutrient cycling and all that. We're after all that. 
because the harder you push the system, the harder you got to push it. And one little hiccup sets you back. How are we going to fix it? Roots. More roots. Roots not iron. And that Blake. Roots are like the. Hashtag frame. roots not iron. There you go, Blake. So, what are you growing as the cover crop or whatever it might be to keep the roots living when you have such a long period frozen? That's our biggest challenge. I mean, we're, we're addicted to cereal rye. We had plots out this winter, camelina, rape and stuff like that I mean but we're we're actually looking at them more as a cash crop but now all of a sudden in that instance it's like if we can get them to overwinter as a cash crop well we can get them overwinter as a cover crop then so if I ever want to do spring grains again you know we're going to throw out the broadleafs and the neat part with the camelina and that it seems we can do that pretty late and still get take Till somebody sprays it with 24D. <laughs> <laughs> We're not perfect. <laughs> Another oops. Yeah, that, that's, Another you oops. Know, that, that, but that's when you when you're juggling a lot of balls, stuff like that can happen. So how are you going to react? You yeah. know that that's you know anybody that knows what happens here last fall, it just it got to be a circus, and you know we had a kid out there running the sprayer, and all of a sudden guy I work with, and hey, why don't you, you probably better spray this field, that's field, and I was like, spray it all. Oops. Not thinking. Not thinking. Well, there went our plot, I got the feeling, and it happens. You know, but good good news is we're part of a pretty good study on that. So hopefully I can pull from the other people that are, you know, and that's the beauty of the network. You can, if you have a little failure, you can pull from somebody else. I mean, that's the same with the grains. Now, that's why I'm, you know, a year ago I went to Dave's and I want the same genetics on corn he's running. So if I have a failure here, I can call him up or I can call somebody, you know, somebody else that's grown the same genetics and we can pull from that inventory. And, uh, you know, as we've been talking the last couple of days, if we can start helping each other more that way, a couple clean outs ain't bad on the combine, but nope. when you start doing a lot more. <laughs> yeah, right. A couple's okay, but yeah. 10 is not. <laughs> right, yeah. right. You know, so that that's just all little things where, you know, Figuring some of that out is going to be the long-term fix for a lot of the headaches we've been incurring. Mm -hmm. Somebody I talked to at the no-till conference, they were saying, everything I hear with diversity of crops, it means I have to go like direct consumer and do that type of marketing. And they're like, I don't want to do that. So what is, is there a solution to that? Or is it just something that you're going to have to accept if you want to try and improve your soil in that way? Well, uh, I mean, if you're going to go for the premium price, you're going to have to market. You know, if you're comfortable getting commercial pricing and stuff like that, which we're doing it now. I mean, well, the nice thing about some of that is if you're growing corn and soybeans, it still has a value. You can still get rid of it. But, you know, if you're starting in the ancient grain business or or something... You know, you can't sell soft red wheat in a hard wheat market, you know. So you have to be cautious. And I think eventually, and it's coming sooner than I think, or I hope, I hope it's coming sooner than I think, that as we get these people involved in doing these specialty things that we want to do, that we can create a market. The only way you can create it now is just get on the Internet and tell somebody you got it. You know, it's like... 
building a ball field and they'll come. Well, yeah. you know, if you got 10,000 bushel of freaking blue corn and your producer falls through because he don't like the price, you best be on somewhere finding out where you're going to go with it. You know, now if you only had 200 bushel, you know, you wouldn't worry about as bad. But, you know, when you got 10% of your crop involved in something special, you will find a market. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, building that relate, you know, it's a relationship driven business at that point. Building them relationships is going to determine if you're successful. Yes, right. And, you know, case in point is the brewery that we worked with for several years here. We started early in the game. We've built the rapport with them. They know us. They trust us. Yeah. To date, we've never talked price. Just they've always treated us fair. They know we're going to be there for them. I'm pretty confident they're going to be for us. Now everybody else is hearing how great this is. So they're approaching that same brewery. Hey, can we grow for you? No, Lauren's taking care of it. Mm -hmm. So that goes back to what I said. For every minute you save on with the farming practice, you've got to be focused on the marketing. You know, them relationships are what's going to help you move forward and it's not going to be easy you know a lot of a lot of, lot of what we learned on the marketing side comes from the hair salon industry if that scares people <laughs> and uh you know customer service and that event essentially that's what we're moving into is a customer service driven model right and uh or more of this i guess i would describe it the service industry model and, uh, you know, it's when we built the hair salon back in them days, I was like, I think to date, one customer came there because of Lauren Stanloggy. The rest of them came because of my wife, because she was a damn good hairstylist. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, we've got to build that same mindset in our products. You know, the pe reason people are going to come back to us is because we got a damn good product. And... In the same regards, you can go from food grade to feed grade quick. So how you react in them instances is going to help you sell, you know, with salvation and stuff like that. Right. And uh, you know, for for young guys looking at getting into it, you know, the the cover crop market has been our hidden asset, I guess I would call it that way. You know, focus on quality. And if you learn how to, you know, the malt barley stuff and that that's what helped us on the seed side if you learn to grow quality malt barley you're going to have some pretty good cover crop germination rates and stuff like that so learning them little details helps you take it to the next level mm -hmm. it's getting entertaining so when you talk about net zero and that's your goal what what do you how do you define net zero Net zero is the combination of your carbon emissions, phosphorus reduction, the potassium use. It's just the overall efficiency of your operation, I guess would probably be the best way to describe it. You know, my introduction is through the dairy industry and it just started making sense when you started hearing it and understanding it. You know, Mitchell Hora, we've worked quite a bit on a bunch of this stuff, trying to, the, the parameters aren't really set yet but that's the perfect time to get in the game you know help people understand what we're capable of you know our biggest night you know 
carbon offsets right now is what we use in nitrogen in the trucking. Mm -hmm. Well, that's where corn really has a downfall. You know, we're high in nitrogen use and high in trucking use. You take them two out of the equation, we can set, you know, it might scare folks if they do a net zero audit on my farm right now, but that's what I'm pushing for. Yet, don't be in despair because last fall there, working with Mitchell, there's net zero corn growers out there right now. So it can be done. But it's how do we get that to take us to the next level? You know, that's to me when, you know, Des Moines watershed lawsuit was kind of my call to action when I really started speaking out on some of this stuff. We need to be working with the communities that embrace this stuff, not the ones that sue us. But take the time to step back. You know, we were in Des Moines this last weekend here working, you know, we're, we're trying to reach out to legislators now and trying to take it into our own hands. Let's show them what we can do, not wait. You know, what what's the best old saying I heard? You know, if, if you want to control something, you legislate it. That's how they're going to, you know, if we don't take charge, that's how they're going to control us. Mm -hmm. And but if we take that away from them, we're empowering ourselves. You know, City Cedar Rapids, Iowa, they're very proactive on this. Dubuque, Iowa is even better. You know, and they, they have the funds available to help help us understand what we're doing. You know, some of the some of the data that I mentioned earlier, you know, now that's starting to go to Ashley Henson. She's bringing FEMA into the game, and for years, Corps of Engineers wanted a lot of the data that we can provide. Well, if we get all that starting to head towards that net zero goal, you know, the be best way I would probably put it for folks to understand is the carbon initiative was brought to you by venture capital. Mm -hmm. Industry has taken us towards net zero. You know, if you really start looking in a lot of these companies, they have a net zero initiative. Yeah, they got a little carbon deal, but that's only a part of the big picture. You know, that, that's why I'm so focused on that, because I'm not afraid. I know we can do it. You know, but there again, it's hard to get them solid numbers that we need to start telling people what we're doing. And, you know, that, that's why I'm pushing so hard. You know, as promised a year ago, we were gonna, they were going to come and do a net audit zero on our farm. Bear in mind, you know, no nitrogen on the home farm here for two years. I think we're going to set a pretty good number. You know, problem moment last fall, I was still using a $1.75 diesel fuel all the way through harvest. What that should mean to most of the listeners is we've got very efficient on the fuel use and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're watching you know, almost every aspect of what we're doing. We're, we're taking accountability on that stuff and hey if i don't need to be doing that don't do it and uh you know the sad, saddest moment for me last fall was when my combine burned up we just filled it up with 300 gallons of dollar 75 diesel fuel oh my gosh that hurt yeah <laughs> but you know it, it's just bigger bigger picture you know it's beyond me thinking and uh you know i i know the further we get into this, John Q. Public, as they're paying attention, they're going to tell us what to do if we ain't out there leading. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it seems to me the net zero is what they're telling us they're going to pay attention to, so that's why I'm focused on it. And yeah, I can, I can grow 250 bushel of corn, but it, that, that doesn't thrill me. You know, the thrill is being able to grow something with 
absolute bare minimum and competing cash flow wise. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want a mortgage anymore. I don't want debt payments. I don't want a lot of stuff. You know, the little grandkids you hear in the background, I want to be able to take time with them. And the only way I'm going to be able to afford to do that stuff is I'm not paying a bank. Right. You know, best, best compliment I got this January 1st was the banker told me I'm costing him money. (laughs) I like that position. Yeah. You know, I, I still have a banker, but it's more, we, we, I keep him there, number one for advice and social, you know, me and him actually have some pretty good conversations, you know, no longer, how do I pay my debts back? But how do I, you know, how do I react when I see this happening? How do, you know, what's your advice on that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's more of a mentor advisor role than, hey, can I get a hundred thousand? Cause I'm a little short. Them, them conversations are never fun, especially now, you know, now as we're starting to look at higher interest rates and stuff like that right you know go back to when i started farming was the end of the or right in the heat of the 80s you know we we were talking to some young young farmers conference in des moines there last weekend is where we were you know it's neat to see all the youth and excitement but that same youth and excitement is going to be hard on them you know i i always called it you know the the neighbors, I remember, you know, going into the 80s, I was just old enough to know what the neighbors were saying, you know, the old guys that dad respected, you know, keep your powder dry, you know, batten down the hatches. Well, dad, I was fortunate enough, my dad was paying attention, you know, came through the 80s pretty solid. And, you know, I was 16 years old when I signed the formal business agreement with my dad. At one point, I wasn't even going to graduate high school. I was just going to drop out and farm. Mm-hmm. Only reason I graduated was to prove a point that I I would commit. And uh, that that right there is a good conversation if you're ever up for it. How I actually graduated with <laughs> with enough credits, but uh, you know, it's just <laughs> it's just them situations that uh, has helped build us into what we are today. But you know, they're always going to be there. And I'm worried there's a lot of young guys don't have that person cautioning them right now. And, uh, you know, that, that's the other thing I think we can offer to these younger people is counsel, you know, how to, how to, what to watch for, what, what not to do. You know, that's as important conversation as what to do. And, uh, it's easier to figure out what to do than it ever is what not to do. Cause them lessons that you learn when you do take a wrong step are going to be lasting. Thanks to Lauren Steinlogge and Dave Brand for today's conversation. If you missed the first part of my interview with Lauren, which features his son, Rollin, catch up at no-tillfarmer.com slash podcasts. All episodes and transcripts of each episode are available there too. Many thanks to Getter Farm Equipment for helping to make this No-Till podcast series possible. From all of us here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Michaela Pauchner. Thanks for listening.